Uh, I've got three scriptures today, so I don't know if, if you want to turn to them, here they are. John 16, verse 23 to 24, uh, Ephesians 3, verse 12, and Hebrews 7, verses 23 to 25. If you want to turn to them, you're free to do that now, but we're going to read through them together up here on the screens. Uh, so stand with me, if you will. Uh, so, so these are three scriptures. This first one, this is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples uh, right before he would go to the cross. And he says, in that day, um, the day after I die, the day after I rise, the day after the spirit comes on you in that day, which is today, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father, this is the this is the main part in my name, whatever you ask of the father in my name. He will give it to you until now. You've asked of nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I like that one a lot. Let's go over to I think um, Ephesians is the next one. Uh, this is Paul talking. We we did a series through this uh, portion of the, the scripture not too long ago. So this is Ephesians three. Paul talking. He says this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is where I want to focus on in whom we have one boldness and two access with confidence through our faith in him. We, we have confident boldness and confident access to the father when we believe in Jesus. And the next one, Hebrews chapter seven, the former proofs were many in number because they were prevented by death from continu- continuing in office. I, I read earlier this week that they think there were 82 priests, 82 priests, from the time that Aaron was first made priest to the time that the temple was finally destroyed in 70 AD. 82 priests because 82 priests died. Uh, But he, Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues, he lives forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the second week of our series on prayer that we're titling It's More Than Me. And the idea behind it is that prayer is more than me. The Father's in it, the Son's in it, the Spirit's in it. Today, I, I want it to sit in your soul that your prayer life is more than you. It's more than your efforts. It's more than your habit. It's more than your word. It's more than your energy. It's more than you. Specifically, I want you to know that the Son built it. The sun built your prayer life. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for being able to come to you like this. Thank you in advance for this access. Before we talk about it, thank you for this boldness. We thank you. Speak to us today. Change us. We want to know you more. We want to see you clearly. We want to believe in you more. So help us. Amen. Uh, You can, you can, you can, you can be seated. So the older I get, the more I, I, I learn and I recognize that the life I currently live as 27, uh, black and in America, it, it was built by somebody else. Uh, I, I'm currently right now at 27 years old standing on somebody else's shoulders. Uh, I'm reminded of, of Ruby Bridges. He's 66 years old when when Ruby was in the first grade, she she put in the work of being the only little black girl in her elementary school, day in and day out, walking to class, uh, being escorted by police while while parents of other students are protesting for a year. She did that uh, because Ruby put in that work. 
my life included being able to go to school with kids who didn't look like me and send my future children to school with kids who don't look like them. I, I, I'm, I'm living off of Ruby's work. Um, um, tomorrow, Dr. King turns, uh, he will have turned 92. Uh, in the 50s and in the 60s, Martin, he marched. He, 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 he preached, he presented, he was beat, he had dogs put on him, he had water hoses put on him, he sat in jail cells. And all of that contributed to me today being able to buy a house or rent a home in any neighborhood I'd please, regardless of my race. I'm living off of Martin's work. Um, um, there's, one, there's one more I really like. This is my favorite one. Um, Mildred Loving and her husband Richard. But because Mildred and Richard sat in prison and sat in court just because she, a black woman, was married to a white man because of that work and that time and that money they put in, I'm sitting at two and a half years with my wife and there's decades more of her dealing with me. Uh, my life was built by somebody else. I never marched not once. I never took a water hose not once. I never have been in jail not once. I'm standing on their shoulders today. And that's major. It's major that my life is, is built by somebody else. It's major that I'm standing on somebody else's shoulders. And it's also major that my prayer life is built by somebody else. It's also major that when I approach the Father, I'm standing on somebody else's shoulders. And you are too. We all right now, our prayer life is a product of the work that Jesus put in. When we approach the Father, we're standing on the shoulders of the Son. Do you remember the work of Jesus? 2,000 years ago, he, he, born by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, he spent 33 years giving, giving, giving a real life audio and a real life visual of who God was. He put a beam on his back and walked up a mountain. He gave his last breath on that mountain. They buried him. They put him in a tomb, but turned out that tomb was only an Airbnb. It was only a weekend stay. He, he got back up on Sunday and he left and then he walked heaven's stairways and he sat down on the throne of the Father. And because of that, yeah. the privilege that I have to pray to the Father yeah. is because of that. The fact that you pray is because of the work Jesus put in. The way that you pray is because of the work Jesus put in. When you pray is because of the work that Jesus put in. So my one thing I want us to do today by the time I leave is I want us to take advantage of the opportunity and the prayer life that Jesus built for us. For some of us, this is an invitation. For the rest of us, this is a reminder. For some of us, this is an invitation. You can live a life of always and at all times praying to the Father and he's warm to you and he's open to you and he responds to you. How? Believe in the Son. You believe in the Son, you become a child, and the Father is open to you. For the rest of us, this is a reminder. Listen to me. Your prayer life is not based on your performance. The Father listens to you, yes. The Father responds to you, yes. But it's not because of you. It's not because you're good. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of the literal blood shed by Jesus. The literal tears cried by Jesus, the, the sweat of Jesus. The Father listens and is open to you because of Jesus. So I want us to enjoy this life that Jesus built for us. Um, so what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want to explore different aspects of this life that Jesus built for us. And as we look at these different aspects of this life that Jesus built for us, I'll throw out some encouragements on ways that we can live in it. Sound good? 
Here's the first one. Jesus built for us a life of unlimited access. Christ built a prayer life of unlimited access. Uh, did you catch in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, and we have access through our faith in Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul clarifies it and he says, through Jesus, we have access to the Father. Now, it's real hard to talk about access without talking about the temple. Uh, in Jerusalem, God, God had the people set up a temple, and there was one room in this temple where he especially made himself present. But the only thing was there was a giant curtain between the Father and the rest of the world, as if to say people don't come into the Father's presence. Uh, back in Jesus' day, Josephus, a Jewish historian, he says that rumor had it is that people said this curtain was 20 feet wide. 60 feet high, four inches thick, or they'd say it was the width of a man's hand, and they'd say you couldn't even trip up and accidentally fall into the Father's presence. That's how thick that thing was. But 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 then Jesus' disciple Matthew in Matthew 27 says, as soon as Jesus gave his last cry, as soon as he gave his last breath, the curtain tore into two from top to bottom as if to say the father saw the son's death and was pleased and reached down with his own hands and ripped that curtain in two to say, come into my presence. Um, Dr. Tony Evans, he tells this story that I'm assuming is true because I like him a lot. He um. He he says that one day there was this man in D.C. sitting on this park bench and he's sobbing, bawling for minutes, loud, weeping in the middle of public. And he says this little boy walks up to him and he says, sir, what what's wrong? And this young man says, well, I've got a brother. He's on death row. He's going to be executed in a few days. I have no hope. I don't know how to stop this from happening. I don't think it should happen. I don't. I have no hope. So the little boy thought and he said, hmm, I've got an idea. Come with me. So this, Dr. Tony Evans says this little boy grabs this young man's hand, walks him up to the White House, walks him past the White House guards, walks him past the secretary, walks him right into Abraham Lincoln's office. And as that little boy and that young man get into the office, Abraham Lincoln stands up and says, hey, son, what can I do for you? And then it clicks in that man's eyes. I just encountered and was escorted into the president's presence by the president's son. Because can't just anybody and everybody walk into the president's office. But the son escorted him in. Listen to me. Can't just anybody and everybody walk into the father's presence. That's what the curtain told us. Can't just anybody and everybody walk us in. But his son escorted us right on in. He, he walked us through heaven's gates. He walked us past heaven's uh, armies. He walked us right to the face of the Father. And you might not be able to see it, but 24-7, 365, in all places, at all times, you are permanently in God's presence. He gave us access. I'm reminded of uh, br- uh, Brother Lawrence. He's a distant mentor of mine, and he understood he a real distant mentor of mine. Um He's dead. It's a joke. Um, he, he understood this access. We, we, I read a letter of his the other day where he said, I'm closer to God than I know. Uh, the Father's always closer to me than we actually realize. And because of that, he did this thing called practicing the presence of God. He said, I'm always in the Father's presence. So what I do, I'm having a continual conversation with him. Because you're always in his presence, you can always pray. 
Listen, I, I want to, I know Jesus tore down the, cur- the curtain in the temple, but we might need to ask him to tear down the curtains we've set up in our minds. But because we might have a mindset that says things have got to be tidy and things have got to be perfect for me to pray. It's got to be right after my devotional or it ain't right. It's got to be when I'm doing good or it ain't right. It's got to be when I've, when I'm doing real good and when I'm reading my Bible or it ain't right. It's got to be when I'm in church or it ain't right. Listen to me. The right place to pray is everywhere. The right time to pray is everywhere. The right situation to pray is all situations. There are no limits to this access we have to the Father. And if there were, were limited, be his presence. Where he's not, we can't pray. That'd be the only limit. But David, D- David did a study on the presence of God and he said, where can I go? If I go to heaven, you're up there. If I go to the grave, you're down there. If I go to the pit of the ocean, you're down there. If I hide in the darkest places where no one else can see me, the dark is like light to you. David's study shows and concludes that God is in all places at all times and in all situations, which means you can pray all the time in all places. We've got access in the morning access, in the evening access, when you're doing good access. When you haven't read the Bible in three days, access. When you're sinning, access. When you're mad, access. At all times and all places, this access is absolutely unlimited. First, the first aspect of this prayer life that Jesus built for us is that it's it's one of unlimited access. Uh, the second aspect is that Christ built a prayer life of transparency. Christ built a life of transparency or openness. Uh, you ever have a friend when you were younger who'd say stuff to their mama or daddy that you would never say to your mama and daddy? Uh, I had one named Justin. Justin was the kind of friend where I'd see him say something to his mama and I'd flinch for him because if it was my mama, everyone was getting hit upside the head. Me and my friends, I, I would never call my mama anything other than mama. This dude, Justin, I watched him call his mama by his first name to her face. I would never disagree with my mama. I'd just go with it if she said something I didn't like. I've seen this man, Justin, disagree with his mama to her face. There were a whole lot of things I kept from my mama. I didn't tell her about girls I was talking to. I didn't tell her about dirt I was in. I didn't tell her about how me and my friends are running around town. But this man, Justin, was an open book. And we used to look at Justin and say, boy, you real bold. You real bold. He was bold because he was an open book. He was bold because he had no filter on what he said to his mother. He was, he was bold because he said anything and everything. Paul in Ephesians says, in Jesus we have boldness. Boldness is talking to the Father the same way Justin talked to his mama. It's saying anything and everything to the Father. It's, it's being able to be open to the Father. Harold Hanner says, it's the freedom and the ability to speak without restraints. Boldness is being an open Listen to me. I think we make a mistake when we put a filter on what we will and what we won't talk to the Father about. I think we're only doing damage when we say, God, I'm going to withhold these emotions. I'm going to withhold these questions. It's not helping. Listen, Jesus wasn't born of the Holy Spirit. Through the Virgin Mary, he wasn't, uh, su- he didn't suffer under Pontius Pilate. He wasn't crucified. He wasn't buried. He didn't descend to the dead and he didn't raise on the third day for us to put a filter on what we say to the Father. Jesus died for you to be 
bold. When you understand boldness, you understand that anything's a possible prayer. Listen, those of us who are going through something, it's a prayer the moment you bring it up to God. That question is a prayer the moment you bring it up to God. That doubt is a prayer the moment you bring it up to God. That complaint is a prayer the moment you bring it up to God. That anger is a prayer the moment you bring it up to God. Whenever you bring it up to God, it becomes a prayer. And Psalm 55 says, cast it on the Lord and he'll sustain you. Give it to God and he'll He'll protect you. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve and Adam are chilling in perfection and Satan slithers over in a snake and he says, hey, Eve, did God really and actually say you can't actually eat of any tree in the garden? In an instant, Eve finds herself doubting God's word, doubting God's character and desiring some real shady stuff. What would have happened? Can you just imagine what would have happened if Eve would have said, hey, Satan, I'm going to need you to hold on for a second. Hey, God, I got these questions. What would have happened? Because Genesis 3 does say the father was in the garden with them. What would have happened if Eve didn't try to handle that on her own and just took those questions to the father? Maybe Eve would have been like, oh, hey, God, can we not? Oh, oh, we can't. Satan is just twisting your word and is floating me. You want me to say what to him? Okay. Oh, hey, get behind me, liar. Um, okay, God, I told him. Thank you. Maybe, just maybe, if Eve would have brought that thing to the father, the father would have spoken truth to her and protected her, and we would have still been in perfection today. But instead, Satan got her alone, and he trapped her, and he broke her down, and here we are in brokenness. The most vulnerable place to be is to deal with something and not bring it up to God. That's right where Satan wants you. Because if he can get you to question alone, Oh, he can get you to trip and fall into some real nasty stuff. If he can get you to complain and have these doubts and all of this alone, oh, he can mess you up. But if you bring it to the Father, the Father will speak truth to you and comfort to you. And and he'll give you mercy and he'll give you grace and he'll give you help and he'll walk you right on through. We, we, we've got we've to take advantage of this boldness and bring anything up to the Father. That's the second one. The third one is that uh, Christ built a prayer life that works. Christ built a prayer life that works. Uh, Jesus in John 16, he says, if you ask anything in my name, the father will give it and your joy may be full. You ask in my name, the father answers and you'll have a whole lot of joy. Asking in Jesus's name is not saying in Jesus's name at the end of a prayer and it being the, the, the code word that obligates God to do whatever we ask for. That's not a thing. Uh, D.A. Carson says asking in Jesus's name, it's asking in alignment with all that Jesus stands for. It's operating off of the basis WWJA. What would Jesus ask? You can't ask for something that Jesus wouldn't ask for and say what and say in Jesus name and that be in Jesus name. That's identity theft. That's fraud. The father rejects that. No, no. We ask in Jesus's name by asking in alignment with his character and his reputation. Asking in Jesus's name. It's it's like 
So, so y'all have been to a doctor who will give you a um, prescription. The doctor writes that prescription. You take that prescription to the pharmacy and the pharmacy fills that prescription. Asking in Jesus' name, it's, it's receiving a prescription from the son. Taking that prescription to the father and the father fills that prescription. The, the son prescribes good things in all situations to ask for. If you ask for those things, the father gives those things. So how do I know what the son would prescribe? You got to get to know him. You can't ask in Jesus' name without knowing Jesus' name. You got to get to know who he is. How, how do I know what the son would prescribe? He's an open book. He's got a whole book. Four gospels where he's real clear. And the rest of it fills in too. As you, as you open up the book and listen to his words, you, you get, you, you receive these recommendations, you receive these prescriptions, you open up that book and, and take those prayer requests straight from that book to the Father, stand back and watch what he does. This one's for free. Um, Jesus might not be prescribing right now in our current setting in America that your party would reign and people would give themselves to it. This is important now. Jesus might be prescribing that we pray that his kingdom would reign and people give themselves to him. That's in Jesus' name. So, 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 so you can pray that prayer and sit back and watch what the Father does. Sit back and watch what he does in Joplin. Sit back and watch what he does in D.C. Sit back and watch what the Father does when we ask for what Jesus would ask for. And listen, the things that Jesus says ask for are the best things to ask for. He hasn't missed not once in terms of the best things to ask for. When he was on earth preaching, the people in his hometown looked back and said, where did he get that wisdom? Uh, Isaiah, before Jesus was even born, Lynn mentioned it earlier. Isaiah said he'll be called a wonderful counselor. That means he'll have supernatural counsel, supernatural advice, supernatural guidance. When you look at the man, Jesus, inside of the man, Jesus, is the mind of God. He knows all things. He sees all things. He's created all things. So when he prescribes it, it's coming from the perspective of the creator of the universe. It's always the best thing to ask for. And then he says, and your joy will be full. Because when we ask for those best things, the Father does those best things, and we just get real happy when we see it. Your, your joy will be full when, when you ask for the Spirit, like Jesus says, ask for the Spirit. Your joy will be full when you ask to be made into his image, like he says, ask to be made into his image. Your joy will be full as you see people give themselves to you as he prescribes. Your joy will be full in all situations when you see the Father do what Jesus is saying, ask for. He gives us a prayer life that works. And here's the last one. Christ gives us a prayer life that continues. Christ gives us a prayer life that continues. Uh, Hebrews 7, it says that Jesus, he, he lives forever to intercede for us. What's Jesus doing right now in this very moment? He's interceding for us. What's he going to be doing when you leave here? interceding for you interceding it's praying to the father for you and he says because jesus is always praying to the father for us he's saving us completely he's saving us to the uttermost what what does this look like what does jesus's intercession look like oh we just got to look back because he comes from a long line of intercessors 
So we'll just go to the OGs and the OTs. So um, Abraham, the first intercessor I can think of, there's a story, Sodom and Gomorrah, they are wicked, nasty people. Uh, Ezekiel says the people in Sodom, they were prideful. They, they were rich. They constantly filled their own bellies and exploited the poor. The rich got poorer as they purposefully made the poor poorer. And because of that, God said they got to go. So Abraham walks up to God and he says, look, you're a good God. Surely if there are 50 righteous people in that city, you won't wipe out the whole thing. And God says, I won't do it. Abraham says, I'm not trying to be annoying now, but how about if there are 45 of them? God says, I won't do it. How about 40? I won't do it. Okay, I know I'm asking for a lot, but how about 30 of them? I won't do it. God, I know I just asked, but how about 20 of them? I won't do it. How about 10? I won't do it. Abraham interceded for Sodom by asking the father not to let them have it for their sins. Jesus, the great interceder, is interceding for us by saying, Father, don't let them have it. And so then you move over to Exodus, the next chapter, and you got Moses. Now, the people of Israel, uh, Moses on the mountain having this real good moment with God. God's giving them the law. God's doing a whole bunch of good stuff for Israel. And these fools are on the bottom of a mountain. They built a golden cow statue. They start dancing around it, singing to it, and praying to it. Well, the father says, Moses, I'm done. They got to go. So then they have this little encounter. And then the father says, all right, y'all got to go. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to send an angel with you. I'm done. I'm not walking with him. And Moses says, we won't go anywhere without you. They need you. These are your people. So if you're not going with us, don't send us. In other words, don't let them go alone. Don't leave them alone. Jesus is interceding for us by saying, don't leave them alone. Don't let them go. Listen, we all know that since we've come to Christ, sin still sits in us and sin still seeps out of us. And the only reason the father hasn't let you have it or let you go is because the son is praying for you right now. This is the good news because that means I don't have to try to convince the father to accept me after my sin. I don't have to try to give the father another sacrifice before I run to him. I've been relieved from the work of reconciling myself to the father. No, I can just run to him. One of the favorite things I've heard a preacher say is he said, run to the father as soon as you come to your senses. In the middle of your mess, run to the father smelling like the mess you just come out of. Run to the father while the video might be still pulled up on your phone. Run to your father right after you got done lashing out at somebody. Run to the father and he'll accept you because the son is still praying for you. And Jesus, he steps on the scene as the as the new school intercessor. One of my favorite stories is one of his last conversations with his disciples. He says, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He he wants to test you. He wants to crush you and he wants to separate all 12 of y'all. But here's the thing. This is my favorite part. He says, but I prayed for you. So when you come back, not if when you come back, restore your brothers and those 11, those 12, they were sifted. One of them didn't make it. 
But those 12, they were sifted. Peter, he did fail God. Peter, he did turn from God. All 12 of them ran back to the life that they had before Jesus. But weeks later, they found themselves filled with the Holy Spirit, praising the Father, preaching to the masses. They made it through what they made it through, still good with God because the Son prayed for them. The reason you go through things that stress you and press you and test you and come out still good with God is because Jesus prayed for you. You've made it through death in your family still with God because he prayed for you. You've made it through disappointment still with God because he prayed for you. You've made it through so much and you're still with the father because the son prayed for you. Look, friends, we talk a whole lot about the perseverance of the saints. I love it. It's a good doctrine. We should. But I want to make a bigger deal out of the perseverance of the son. It's good for you to pray and hold on to the father, but make no mistake. The son is praying and holding on to you. It's good for you to persevere and stick with the Father, but make no mistake, the Son's perseverance is why you're still persevering. The Son is the one sustaining your relationship with Him. The Son is praying for you. And listen, the Father maybe said no to Jesus once, and that's when He said, if I don't got to go to the cross, don't let me. But the Father said, no, you're going to go to the cross. We're going to do this. Jesus happily went since that moment. He sat on the throne in heaven, and the Father has willingly given the Son all He's asked for. Jesus is not stressing. Jesus is not begging. Jesus is not trying to convince the father. No, the father just gives it to him happily. So all he's doing is saying, father, don't leave him. The father says, okay. Father, don't forsake him. The father says, I'll gladly not do it. He says, father, stick with him. Give him mercy. Give him grace. And he keeps on doing it happily. Oh, friends. There is no power in hell. And no scheme of man that will ever pluck us from his praying hands. So until he returns or calls us home, right here in the middle of the prayers and the perseverance of Christ will forever stand. We continue because he continues to pray for us. What's this life that he built? What's this house that Jesus built? It's a house where we can be bold. We can be an open book to the father. This is a house where we can come whenever. And say it whenever. This is a house where the Father responds to us and we get joyful. And this is a house where, where we continue praying through our sin and through the storms because the Son continues praying for us. This is a good house to be in. This is a good life to have.